right. Well, hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. It's such a treat to be here with all my poker friends talking about this game that we all love. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Bluff Starini <laughs> in the home game, and I'm at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. I go by Jim Reed in the real world. And if you want to find out more about me uh, or the rest of the Wrecking Crew that I work with here every week, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. Uh, but or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right now. Well, my name is Chris Jones, and I have not <laughs> lost sight of the difference between the real world and the uh, virtual <laughs> world. But I, you can find me at five v five on Twitter or five by five in the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I am known as Poker Geek MN everywhere. And we should really have a long discussion about whether we're all just living in a simulation anyway. Is anything the real world? Who knows. <laughs> I'm Kim Kilroy. I am Fergie fifty six in the home game and Pet Bat or Pet Bat thirty three everywhere else. I'm Rob Washam and I'm Rabman fifty just about everywhere. Well, thanks, gang. Um, the Wrecking Crew are kind of our core team of uh, members here at Rec Poker. They uh, help produce all the amazing stuff we do here. They're chipping in their time every month and having a great time doing it. Um, so we got to thank them. We got to thank folks like uh, Kian Tavacoli, who's one of our amazing premium members, who's uh, an active participant in a lot of our discussions over the years. He's been around since way back when. And um, Kian, t- kicking in your 15 bucks a month to help us keep the lights on and pursue our goals here at Rec Poker is fantastic. So thanks for being a big part of what we're doing here. Because um, most of what we do is free. It's a largely volunteer organization. Um, our sponsors, like the uh, Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and Mark Brashan over at Website Amp, truly enable us to do what we do, what we love. And what we love is talking to fun people in the poker world and learning about poker with them. Um, it is my pleasure to introduce this week the one and only Rob Gardner, who I was able to meet in person in Las Vegas not too long ago. Uh, Rob, this feels like it's a little overdue, but welcome to the Rec Poker Podcast. You know, Jim, I got to tell you, I spent an entire day at the main event playing poker with you, and I didn't realize you had such a radio voice. Man, I'm listening to you talking, and I'm like, I feel like I'm listening to a radio show. Uh, It's great to be here. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's start right there. Um, So, Rob, you and I had a chance to uh, play on the same table on day one of the main event this year, which was pretty cool. Um, We got a a visit from... Uh, Norman Chad, who had something for each of us. How cool is that? We'll get in. Norman's actually coming on the show in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be fun. We, cool. we can get his perspective of what that whole thing was like. Because, you know, you don't get to meet Rob and Jim for the first time. Either, yeah, exactly. Day, right. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, you got to hold on to the magic, uh, the, <laughs> the magic starburst. Um, Lucky orange starburst. So let's, let's start, let's start with that. Um, Let's start with that. So was this your first main event? Have you played in this before? What's your relationship with this fantastic event that that I got to play for the first time this year? Yeah, so this was uh, main event number two for me. Um, I had my first run last year, and last year was a completely different experience than this year. Last year on day one, um, no fishtail here, I had aces, kings, and queens 17 times on day one. Um, it was the deck I've never had the deck smack me in the face like that entire life and it was awful because I had a table full of people that were playing for the first second third time nobody wanted to see a flop nobody wanted to get to a turn so Mm -hmm. I am just you know winning one big blind two big blinds three big blinds all day long I I think I I bagged like 88k and you think with having you know that card distribution you just run up a huge stack um And then I got to day two and I think I had two people at my table that spoke English and there were like four bets and five bets and six bets going on. And we lasted like two levels. Um, (laughs) So then, you know, fast forward to this year, you know, we've done a lot of, you know, studying in the lab and and digging in and it was a different experience this year. Um, Day one was pretty good, had a pretty soft table draw, Um, ended up bagging like, well, you were day two, Jim. Technically, you were day two. So before you think I'm like ragging on you, we, we played day two. Because if you remember, we were both researching each other. Like that was like the thing, yes. like the day two table counts came out. And I'm like going through and trying to figure out who's ever at my tables. And then you come up to talk to KL and I'm like, wait a minute. Like <laughs> that was at my crazy. Table. That was um, crazy. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> 
So it was really, really cool. And, um, you know, every day was completely different, uh, different table draw, different dynamics. Um, there's no other tournament in the world like it. You know, the structure is insane. All of the pressures are different. And, um, yeah, I was very fortunate to make day four, um, survived as long as I could on day four and eventually, you know, had to get a pocket pair in and just ran into a big pocket pair. And that was that. That's how a few of us have actually busted the main getting a pocket pair and losing to a bigger pocket pair. How, how does that compare to other ways of busting in the main? Like, is I felt like that was actually a pretty good way to bust the main because everyone busts well, the main eventually. Those of us that have played poker long enough, you generally get in a spot where you get a pocket pair in against a bigger pocket pair and you lose and you're really frustrated. And you're like, why can't I just lose with aces? And then the next day you get in aces against queens and you lose. And you're like, why can't I just get queens in against aces and lose like I'm supposed to? So we're never happy as poker players. We're always, you know, moaning about not having the other side of it. But uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't feel like I punted. I didn't feel like I made any mistakes. You know, I, I really stretched a short stack for a good three levels and an extra, I think, 8K in pay jumps on day four. So yep. nobody's excited to bust the main. Nobody's like, yay, let me go stand in line for four hours to get my payout and think about how I got to wait a year to do this again. But if you got to go through it, I think that's probably the best way to go is just, you know, you did what you could and you just got it in a little short. That sounds like it, man. I, I completely agree. So uh, I'll encourage our folks in the YouTube chat, if you've got any questions for Rob, type away. And of course, anyone here in the chat, in the uh, panel, if you'd like to ask away, just unmute and I'll call on you. Um, Rob, so we've talked a lot just about how things end and sort of, uh, you know, that pinnacle point for a lot of our recreational players would be like getting to play in the World Series uh, of Poker main event. Let's back it up a little bit. Um, You've had an interesting path getting you to that point. And uh, why don't you just, and actually I ask all our, all our guests this, um, you've, you've kind of had a few different roles in the poker world and outside <laughs> of the poker world. When, when people talk to you about your role in poker, what's your answer to them? How do you define your own role in poker these days? Uh, it's like a spinning wheel. Like I just spin it every week and it lands <laughs> on something and that's the new thing for the week. I, I've been... I've been involved in a lot of different things. Um, let me let me just go back to the beginning because my story is very unorthodox when it comes to coming up in poker. Um, I started out playing in home games, which is not unorthodox. Um, I was working in a Mexican restaurant. I was a manager. All the managers, some of the employees, we'd get together once a week and we'd play these parlor games. We wouldn't play like Texas Hold'em or Oh, it was like you know Cincinnati and baseball and just all of these crazy games. And uh, there was a particular game we played called three, five, seven. And this game was absurd. It was a game. It was a match the pot game. And every time you match the pot, the pot that you had to match got bigger and bigger. And it was one of those games where like, there was a lot of bluffing. And then after like 50 different things that had to happen, you had to beat a dummy hand and there's all these wilds. <laughs> so like, you know, there'd be a hundred dollars in the pot and a guy would get in with like four of a kind and lose to like five of a kind or a Royal flush or it was nuts. I mean, paychecks were trading hands and it, and I just was in love with it for some crazy reason. Um, and so I actually thought I was like, Oh man, I wonder if there's poker online. And so I literally went online looking for three, five, seven, thinking I'm just going to find a three, five, seven online game somewhere and get to play some more. Turns out that's not the case. And so, um, you know, I deposited my first $50 on paradise poker. I'm aging myself here. Um, you know, where you could buy drinks and sit them on the little table next to you. And it had the really cool atmosphere. And I made many more deposits after that $50 and, (laughs) Um, eventually decided that I wanted to try and get good at the game. And, uh, you know, I, I started learning the best way I could, you know, back then it was buying books. It was trying to find coaches and, uh, decided to make my first run at full-time poker in 2005 or six, I think it was. Um, and I did it the completely appropriate way. I, I quit a, um, comfortable, um, consistent paycheck where I was managing at a restaurant and I jumped into the world of steps and, you know, it was great. You know, these, oh, these were like party poker, $6 steps. And I'm like, I think I'm like, I got like a $600 bankroll. So I would just play a hundred step ones. 
And then I'd mm-hmm. have 70 step twos and 40. And then I'd get to like the last step and I'd have three step tickets. <laughs> and so we're down to the last step. I got three step tickets and it's a 10 man sit and go. And I remember this day, it paid five spots, 2,000, 1,500, 300, 200. And then the bottom five got none. So I would do that and I'd have my three tickets. And if I busted all three tickets, that's it. Good game. You know, we're done. And and for some reason, I would do that. And I I don't know, maybe I'd cash for a thousand dollars. I'd be like, let's do it again. Like, what could go wrong? It's so much fun. Um, it was incredibly stressful. Fortunately, it was back in the day where like somebody would raise and you'd three bet and they couldn't hit the full button fast enough. So um it, it was a it was I just abused the bubble really really aggressively back i don't even know if that was a thing back then or not a thing um but we survived i didn't go broke didn't end up homeless and then i actually ended up getting into the game of omaha hilo and Hmm. found a niche there and um grew to the point where i was one of the top players in the game i was playing all the high stakes tournaments um i had a backing deal and uh i mean people didn't realize this but you could get I mean, a stupid amounts of buy-ins. Uh, I mean, if you put high volume in, you could get between five and 10K in buy-ins just playing high-low. That was back when Stars and Tilt were at their prime, right? So there was, you know, 10 to 12 tournaments a day on each site. Every site was running 55s and 109s. On the weekends, you had 530s, 215s, 109s on all the sites. And so I was just playing that as much as I could and moving up in the ranks and making really good money. And then I kind of realized that like there was no future. I mean, it was good money, but it's like the the month the game is Texas Hold'em. That's where it's at. That's where the yeah. real money was. Um, and I hired Ari Engel, uh, who many of you know to be my coach, worked with him for a while. He really started to impact my game. Um, got a few big scores. Uh, I actually finished fourth in the $11 200k storm on stars, you know, like 23,000 players. Um, for 10.8k, and then Black Friday happened. Oh, yeah. Um, and so that kind of like I kind of tried to stay alive, you know, we're doing the merge cash outs that are like eight weeks apart, and then you know, getting uh, Western Union from some name I can't pronounce in some <laughs> third world country, you know, heading into the Schnucks grocery store, and the lady's looking at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like. I'm a programmer. I do international work, you know, um, we, we tried to make that work, but it just didn't work. So I ended up getting out of the game for a couple of years and came back. Uh, I want to say six or seven years ago, um, got into streaming, uh, aggressively got into poker and then just never looked back. We've been, uh, um, kind of bouncing back and forth between just playing poker full time, being a content creator, um, helping people from a technical standpoint, a little bit of everything. Um, so it's been a wild ride and, uh, <laughs> I've definitely done some things that, uh, not many people get to experience in the poker world, but, uh, um, it's, it, I, I've always said that poker makes you better at life and life makes you better at poker. And I've experienced that to the umpteenth level. I would not be where I am today if poker had impacted my life and, you know, it's disappointing that people don't see the positive sides of poker. Cause I think it gets such a bad stigma, um, you know, in the general public and it's, it's helped me. It's, it's helped me be more disciplined, more focused, more organized, more mature, more responsible. I, I'm a better person because of the game. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. I think they do. Uh, they are good influences on each other when you're serious about both of them. You know what I mean? Um, they, they are well said. That's well said. Um, so when you're playing now, it's kind of for fun. It's kind of for business. You know, you're 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 counting on the revenue that you make from it. Um, but you're also creating content. And I like this idea of sort of like helping people with technical aspects of the game. It's such a great industry, a community to be a part of. A lot of people want to help each other, and we're all good at all these different kinds of things. Everyone has a different way to help. Uh, what are some examples of that kind of technical help that you might provide? Well, I. Um... I, I spent some time uh, in my early 20s um, in ministry, actually, and uh, it's where I got the name dubbed Poker Pastor has been kind of my nickname throughout. And so um, in my younger years, I had the fortunate opportunity to get a lot of experience with teaching and writing curriculum and and coming up with object lessons and analogies and so on and so forth. And so 
from a base level, I really enjoy breaking the game down to simplistic concepts because the game can overwhelm you. It is infinitely complex. It has infinite parts. There's so many factors and people have a tendency to get lost in all of that. And so I really enjoy coming in and kind of like pushing out all of the distractions and the overwhelming aspects of the game and just kind of breaking it down to simple principles and kind of helping to kind of lead people along a few steps. Um, The other thing that I really like to do, and I'm going to dash your viewers hopes and then rebuild them very quickly. So we won't have anybody like quit on us, but um, I really try to help people understand how multifaceted this game is. And what I mean by that is, This is not just a game of poker knowledge. Um, If the game was just poker knowledge, then everybody would be great right now because we live in an era where Phil Galfon will hop on YouTube and (laughs) give us high level PLO content for free. I mean, the amount of free content out there is insane and there's good reasons for it. We won't get into that. It's an entire another podcast, but um, you know, back in the day, it was like, if you didn't have a $199 a month card runners, subscription you just were lost you weren't up to date on the latest strategies or anything and now i mean just youtube is just flooded so if 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 it was just about poker info everybody would be great um i think that for poker players who've been in the game for more than two years if they've not gotten to a profitable level the odds of them being profitable after two years are incredibly small but there's a reason for that and the reason is that if you haven't gotten profitable in the first two years, it doesn't mean you're not capable. It just means that the issue isn't the poker knowledge itself. It's one of the many other intangibles that envelop this game. I mean, this game isn't just about knowing your ranges. It's about discipline. It's about mental game. It's about emotional strength. It's about bankroll management, right? There's all of these other accompanying things, willpower, determination, focus, um, patience, right? And so a lot of times what happens is people get the knowledge and get the knowledge and they absorb it absorb it, but they don't work on any of these other things. And it's the other things that are holding them back. And so then they don't get the results they want. So they try to absorb even more knowledge and they don't get the opportunity to fix, you know, one of these other intangibles, one of these other pillars that you need to be successful. And so I really like kind of getting in from that aspect too. It's like, Hey, how's your mental game? How's your bankroll management? How's your game selection? I'm game selection is one of the ones that I talk about more frequently with people than anybody because everybody wants to play the fun tournaments. And it's like, that's cool. If you want to play for fun and play the fun tournaments, do it. But if you're telling me you want to make money, you don't just get to play all the fun tournaments because generally speaking, the fun tournaments aren't the ones that are going to make you the money. And so um, (laughs) being able to come in and kind of talk about all of these other angles and help people understand that, yeah, the poker knowledge is important. Theory is important. Exploits are important. Ranges are important. I don't want to belittle those things, but they're meaningless. I mean, if you take peanut butter and jelly and smack it together with no bread, you just have a mess, right? You, you got to have all of the pieces for things to work smoothly. And so it's getting people to see just how many pieces are really in this recipe of being a successful poker player. Nice. I like that a lot. And, uh, you know, how you translate more complicated things into simpler concepts is a lot of what teaching is about. Uh, yeah. Do you find that being uh, adept at teaching has an effect on your ability as a learner? Are the two related like that or are they just sort of coincidentally similar? Um, It certainly does. Uh, I think that from the learning standpoint, one of the challenges I have is I'm, I'm kind of caught between two worlds. So I've spent the last two years uh, under Ryan LaPlante in just an incredible opportunity. It's a, it's a uh, coaching backing combo deal. And uh, I've, he's one of the best exploit players in the game. I mean, he's just really, really good at teaching exploits. And if you're game selecting pretty well, exploits are actually extremely important because, you know, if you're in a game with a table full of people that you have to play perfect theory against, you're sitting at the wrong table. So that has changed my game, revolutionized it in some incredible ways. But now I'm kind of in this weird spot where like there are times I do have to do theory, you know, like you do get to a day two table, the main event or a day two four table, the main event. And you have these guys that are just check raising and barreling and barreling and barreling. And and you have to learn those things. And so I'm kind of in this weird dynamic where I start to learn more theory and take it in and I can really absorb it. 
and my exploit game just goes to dust, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and then I got to go back and fix that. And then I get that fixed and I'm really fine-tuned. Then I start to dig into the theory again. And, it's just, and so um, I'm definitely quick at picking things up. I, I went to what I called uh, Borders University for college. I dropped out of college because I got tired of professors reading me the textbooks that they bought, you know, re- wrote and made us buy. And so I'm like, I'll just go to the bookstore and buy it for 40 bucks and save a ton of money and teach myself. And so I've always been a self-learner, but um, it, sometimes it can lead you to get too quickly away from home base. Again, that, that patience aspect, we t- jump into a new concept too quickly and we, we forget our foundation and lose what we have. So hmm. it, it's a positive and a negative. <laughs> uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, Chase the Dream and uh, what, what that's all about. Yeah, that was um, that was an experiment. Uh, so I I've been in content uh, basically since I came back from the game uh, six and a half years ago, and I had no plans of getting into content. Uh, when I came back to the game, uh, I started looking for a coach right away. That was really important. And I got connected with Ben on Drew and, you know, we were talking about poker in the game and he's like, dude, you should get into streaming. And I'm like, I have no desire to get into streaming. This is your thing. I don't want to take money away from you. I mean, I barely knew anything about Twitch at this point anyway. And it really, really pushed me to pursue it. And so I got into streaming, um, managed to like in my third month of streaming, I um, made it to the final 20 of ACR's first million dollar guarantee. And so, you know, deep run like that on a Sunday, crowds growing, crowds growing, crowds growing. And then like poker stars had like an EPT event that ended and they threw me the raid. And all of a sudden I had like 2000 people in my stream and I have no idea what I'm doing. I am nervous. My VPIP is like 8%. You know, I'm just like clinging to dear life. I played it so poorly. Uh, I ended up going out like 13th to 14th, but that kind of blew up my content career. And so um, I've always had this dilemma because I love content itself. I love being an influencer. I love impacting people's lives. I love uh, all of that. But the making of content is a nightmare. And you know this, right? I mean, you guys know this being involved in this industry and doing it. Like, it's fun to be on here and do this part, but people don't understand how much work goes into this that is miserable, right? <laughs> and and so uh, it's been this love-hate relationship with content because content is one of the ways that we can supplement variance in poker and allow us to, you know, have smoother runs because we play a game where we don't, you know, just collect a paycheck every month, you know, it's very ebby and flowy um, and the content aspect's fun, but the work of it is, is rough. And so I'm always kind of bouncing into things and out of things, kind of a trial error, learn by, you know, making mistakes and whatnot. And uh, so, yeah, the, the summer project chase the dream was kind of like, let's go out to Vegas and let's just track this story and kind of do some video content around it. And I have no idea if it's going to be a success or a failure, if it's going to be good or bad. I don't know how much work it's going to be. Let's just try it. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of what I feared it might end up being, which was, (laughs) um, three times as much work as I had hoped. And, uh, it, it, it just, it gets to a point where it gets in the way of poker and that's where I struggle because Mm. once content gets to a point where I can't make poker the top priority, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got through it. We put like six or seven episodes together. Uh, it was kind of cool to show people, you know, the ups and downs of a summer series. I think a lot of people that play online, you know, they'll play a Sunday session. They'll play 20 tournaments. They don't understand that that's three weeks of live poker. Right. So a bad Sunday online is a bad month live. Um, and a lot of people can have many bad Sundays in a row. So you, oh, yeah. you, you get the, you see how you can just, you can go play live for six months and not get results. Um, but on the flip side, obviously you're playing a game where you have truly max information. You're getting reads, you're getting info from people constantly. You get to play your absolute best because you have max focus and you're playing tournaments at buy-in levels that, you know, a $400 live tournament is like a $10 tournament online. So it really does give you the opportunity to have an incredible score an incredible story. So we tried to capture that and uh, you know, there were some highs, there were some lows, but mostly it was a valuable learning lesson about which parts of content I like and which parts I don't. (laughs) Mm, Amen. Uh, Chris, do you have something there? 
Yeah, Rob, I got a couple of audience questions here. Um, Joe Kulis asks, uh, I think referring back to uh, you referring to, you know, if you're not profitable in two years, uh, you might might never be here. His question is, did you mean that sort of profitable as a pro? Or do you mean that, you know, if you're like a recreational player, maybe playing not as often, just profitable at the game you're playing, like... Is there basically? Is there any hope for somebody who hasn't maybe tried it for two years? Is it, are we talking about pros here? Or are we talking about everybody? sure? Um, I mean, I, I I think that they're kind of one and the same. But I don't want people's takeaway from that to be, oh man, I've played poker casually for two years and I haven't made money yet, so I'm screwed. That's not the the takeaway. The takeaway is just let's say you're listening right now, you're two years into your career and you're still kind of depositing money in um, more than you're pulling out. Um, the thing you need to do at that point is you need to sit down and go, okay, what I've been doing isn't working. Right. And we always talk about, uh, how, you know, doing the same thing over and over again. Right. And never, ever changing. Right. That's insanity. It it doesn't, it doesn't allow you to progress anyway. So it's super important at that point to start looking at other things. Because again, the info's out there, right? Ranges are out there. Uh, Courses are out there. Free YouTube videos are out there. People are constantly on Twitch doing hand history reviews, talking through their strategies. So that stuff we know is there. So now it's like, well, what's going on? And, And when I talk to people that are at this stage in their game, we usually start to break into things and, and it's an eye-opening experience because I start to go, okay, so what kind of games are you playing? And they'll start to show me and, and they're playing all the biggest guarantees, right? So they're playing the highest variance games. They're playing, you know, the cream rises to the top. So they're playing tournaments where when they get to the final 10 or 20, everybody's a crusher. Um, they haven't tracked their results very well. They don't know, you know, I'll say like, well, what's your best ROI tournament? And you get this deer in the headlights look. What do you mean? Best right. Like, so they, they don't they don't have the analytics. They haven't looked at the data. And then a lot of times we'll kind of start asking honest questions about like their study habits. And they're like, oh yeah, I study like eight hours a week. Well, and then it'll turn out that studying is like firing up a training video while Netflix is on the TV, while they're popping on their phone, you know, and they're eating a cheeseburger. And it's like, well, I don't understand why sorry. So a lot of people just don't understand maybe like the level of uh, focus it takes, the hard work it takes. And and the hard part too is, and one of the things I tell people is like, it's okay to be a losing player in poker. Um, it's perfectly fine. There's a stigma. Like if you're not a winning poker player, well, then you're not as good as the winning, like, like you're lower in the system or you don't have any value. And it couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. Right. Like we don't go to the movie theater and like stand outside and heckle people because they walk in with $30 and they walk out with an empty tub of popcorn and say, Oh, you fish. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you went to go see that movie and you didn't come out with $60. Like we don't I mean, we, in any other industry. That's not a thing. Right. But in poker, we create the stigma. So I'll, I'll, I'll have this conversation with him. I'll say, listen, this is like anything else in life. The second you make this a career, the fun factor is going to go down. So you have to decide, do you want to play this game for fun and see it as a operating expense, an item expense on your budget, which is hundred percent. Okay. Do you want to play this as a profit engine? and make money, which is also hundred percent. Okay. And they're both fine. And you can pick whichever one you want, but it's super important that whichever one you pick, you're, you're honest about it with yourself and you really go after it. So if you're in there, if you're listening to this and you're like, listen, I want this to be a profit engine. Okay. So let, now we have to start looking at what games are you playing? How are your study habits? How is your bankroll management? Are you uh, handling your emotions well? Or does the third bad beat of the day set you off on tilt? You know, and going through all of the other intangibles and really truly being willing to honest with yourself and say, hey, I suck at this. It's okay to suck at things. In fact, it's a good thing to suck at things because if you're doing everything right and you're not getting anywhere, GGs, like, I don't really have any advice for you. I, we want to find things you're not good at or not doing well in so that there's, you know, opportunity to improve. Um, so, no, I, I, I think I don't want anybody to take away that there isn't hope. But the reason that the odds are so low is because most people get to that point and they instantly assume it's a knowledge problem and they just keep funneling knowledge in and they never get to the other aspects of the game. So if you're hearing this, there's hope for you because you can dig into some of these other aspects of the game, learn more about game selection, learn more about bankroll management, learn about mindset. Mindset is so important and dig into those things. And you'll, I guarantee you, if you're a losing player and you dig into those things, you're 
you're going to find multiple areas of improvement and you're going to start to see, Hey, this is why I haven't been a winning player in two years. Uh, and then kind of a totally different question, but about poker streaming, uh, Ben Enslow, uh, writes in and asks, uh, what suggestions would you give to a new poker streamer or, or, or want to be poker streamer even? Oh man. Um, so uh, not to like repeat myself, but streaming is actually a lot like poker in that once you start taking streaming seriously, the fun factor goes down. So again, it's almost identical. You have to decide whether you're streaming for fun or you're streaming for profit. Uh, streaming for fun is fine. Um, it's going to be a more casual experience. You're not going to draw a huge audience without, you know, doing a good amount of marketing and a good amount of uh, niching yourself in the industry, setting yourself apart in terms of your look, your vibe, your presence on stream. Um, but if your goal is to just, you know, get four or five of your friends to come in and share in the experience and watch you play games and then that's totally okay. If your goal is to kind of stream for profit or grow to be more of a brand or be a, a, a true influencer, um, it's it's something to where you have to have a passion for it and you really have to dig into why certain things work. Uh, I really started to find a lot of success in streaming and content when I dug into the vast uh, expanse of YouTube and I started that had grown in streaming and YouTube and watching their videos on, you know, how to be relevant, how to create fresh content, how to be discoverable, right? Um, the challenge with all of these things is that these markets are all saturated, right? There are thousands of Twitch poker streamers. There are hundreds of YouTube Twitch, or sorry, YouTube vloggers, right? Um, these markets are all saturated and, uh, you know, people hear that and their first reaction is, oh, well, I'm going to do something completely different. You know, I mean, I had a web business back in the late 1900s, early 2000s during the recession. And people would always come to me like, I want to make Facebook, but I'm going to make it red. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, not going to work. Right. Like, nice try. Uh, and it's the same thing. People are like, oh, well, I'm going to get into streaming, but, you know, I'm going to have a I'm going to get this overlay designed. And, it, and they don't understand that, like everything you do in streaming is, is a funnel to the product, which is you. Yes. You need the bells and whistles and the vibe and the hype and the exciting little things that get people in the, the outer circle. But if you as a product aren't good, then, then all you're doing is you're funneling people in the front door and out the back door. And a lot of times people get into streaming and they, they, they lack some of the self-confidence. And so they, they, they try to rely on all of these other things, the bells and whistles. And I'm sure you guys have seen the streams where you walk in and you're like, your head starts hurting because there's 2000 things going on in the stream and every color of the rainbow is in the overlay. And there's 64 animations playing and your ears are blowing up and you're like, what? It's like, be yourself, be authentic, right? And, and let people be attracted to who you are, let you be the product and just let the bells and whistles kind of come there. So my ultimate advice would be like, research it, figure out which camp you want to be in. Um, if you want to do it for fun, do whatever you want. Like there's just, just go have fun, do what you want. If you want to get into seriously, learn from, you know, Senpai Gaming is one of the great, great YouTube channels uh, that's got a ton of stuff about streaming, getting into streaming, standing out, how to build discoverable content on YouTube um, so that you can bring people to Twitch. Um, and, and most of all, have confidence in who you are. Everybody's not going to like you no matter what you do. So you might as well just be you. Uh, great advice there. It's true. If you want to be happy, you can't put you can't invest too much of yourself in what other people think of you. That's that's not going to lead you anywhere good. Um, so, Rob, when you are playing poker now, is it mostly live? It sounds like. Do you play online as well? Is there a difference between the two, and why do you choose one over the other? Yeah. So we're switching gears over the last um, twenty months now uh, with this deal. I have played probably like. 50 to 60% live, um, which is a massive amount for me because I live in central Illinois. Um, there aren't a lot of 
uh, live poker options near me. Um, there were prior to Black or Black Friday, uh, Black Friday, COVID. It's all the same thing. Um, <laughs> prior to COVID, uh, there were, you know, St. Louis was a hot spot. Elizabeth, Indiana was a hot spot. Um, Chicago was a hot spot. But a lot of that stuff hasn't quite come back yet. So um, I spent a good chunk of the last 20 months going back and forth to Vegas and spending four to six months a year in Vegas. Um, and heading into this year, I kind of got to where I was just like, I need, I need a break. I need my bed. I need my puppies. I need my wife, my kids. Um, and my kids are older. It's not like I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old or anything. I mean, my kids are mostly out of high school at this point, but um, I just kind of got to a point where it was like, I've, I've done it. You know, it was important at the time because with all of the, the new study I was doing with Ryan and all the new concepts I was learning, we wanted to see if it could work. We wanted to see if we were making progress and we did, we saw results. We got big scores. We had opportunities to make deep runs and big events live. And so now we know what live is and what we can do in it. Um, so now this next year, I'm kind of going into more of an online focus and really trying to spend some more time in the lab and work on my game more. Um, Still mixing in some live here and there because I want to stay fresh, but, uh, you know, just kind of shifting gears and allowing myself to have a little bit more time to kind of work on me. Well, poker is a game of kind of making smaller mistakes or fewer mistakes than your opponents and making your opponents mistakes uh, really stand out and making them pay for it. As you've gotten better, you're making fewer mistakes and smaller mistakes. What are some opponent, what are some mistakes that less experienced players tend to make that you find it's easy to kind of make them pay for? Like what's, what are an example uh, that you could bring up here? Well, the funniest thing about exploit poker is that our opponents do things that are pretty bad that we do to them that are actually good. And so it's, it's this weird thing. One of the most common things you see as far as exploit poker, especially in the live poker scene is you see poker players bet small when they don't have it and bet big when they have it. And uh, it's one of those things that's really obvious, right? And uh, to the point where you can really make some absurd folds in poker. I mean, absurd folds. Um, I folded a nut flush this summer correctly on an unpaired board. And the guy ended up having a straight flush. Uh, and so you, you can, I mean, you can make, you can literally fold second nuts in certain situations because you're in a spot where you see your opponent do something that they only can do with hands that beat you. And when that's the case, you just get to fold. But the crazy thing is, even though they're doing that and it's so obvious and you get to exploit it in some really obvious ways, you know, raising them when they bet small folding, when they bet big and you, you don't have a strong draw or a monster hand, we get to do the same thing to them because they're not paying attention to our sizing, right? A lot of players uh, use what's called inelastic. They have an inelastic sizing. They, they are looking at their hand and they're saying, I have a hand. I don't have a hand. And whether you bet quarter pot, third pot, half pot, two thirds pot, pot, you know, we spent all this time in, you know, looking at theory and looking at Sims. And it's like, these people don't even know how much is in the pot. I mean, live poker, especially where it's not on the screen for them. I mean, sometimes there could be, you know, 2,700 chips in the pot in a pile. You can just flick a 5K chip out, right? And it looks like one chip. And they're like, oh, man, that's one chip. And they'll flick it in. They don't even think about it. So um, it's weird that, like, we get to learn from their sizings. And then you'd think by us doing the same thing, people would pick up on us, but they just don't. It's a great example. I think we talk about sizing as one of the great frontiers of poker, one of those big gaps between people that have really just never thought about it and aren't paying attention, um, whether it's limping preflop or just really stupidly small bets in proportion to the pot or really big ones or ones where people show down. And it's like, why'd they choose that sizing with that hand there? I think that's that's great, Rob. That's a, that's a real, real you, insight. You have not lived until you've bet like 200 chips into an 1800 chip pot and won the pot. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is just like it's the greatest feeling in the world. You have to hide your smirk because you're like, this is like robbery. This should not be a thing. But I'm, I, you wouldn't believe how often that kind of that kind of sizing works, especially in a live poker environment. Well, speaking of sizing, uh, Kim Kilroy is uh, one of our Wrecking Crew members tonight. We have this uh, running joke that she doesn't she doesn't favor half pot bets. And uh, so whenever something sizing comes up, I always want to see if Kim has anything to add at this particular point. Uh, nothing about sizing, but 
I I love what you just said about folding because I remember something I read about Doyle Brunson said he didn't really get good at poker until he learned how to fold. Mm. And I think that's one of the hardest things any of us do. But I want to go back even further to you said you're going to start your next chapter is going into the lab. And I want to know what going into the lab entails for you. So um, for me, for where I'm at this year, it's going to be a lot of digging into my own personal hand histories and really kind of breaking down some of the deeper parts of my game. Um, I have kind of a laundry list of things that I really want to work on. Um, Check raises is one. Um, It's a it's an area that um, I don't need to have a high check raise percentage to be successful or to have a profitable win rate, but that doesn't mean I don't need one. Right. And so it's one of those areas I just haven't put a lot of time in. Um, Defending three bets is another one because from an exploits perspective, I don't generally defend a lot of three bets because usually I'm up against opponents when they three bet, it's like aces, Kings, Queens, ace, King. And so, you know, you don't, you don't, if you're in a situation where you're 40 big blinds deep and you get three bet by a range like that, you're just, you're, you're jamming with your aces or you're folding. Um, so I don't actually have a lot of experience defending three bets because of that. So, you know, digging into that area a little bit. Um, so for me, it's like looking at those spots, I will get into the theory side of it a little bit to kind of have a baseline, but I, in order to keep myself grounded, as soon as I do, I have to kind of immediately think about, okay, this is what theory does. Now, how do I use this to take advantage of people who are, you know, doing too much, doing too little and kind of adjusting to where they're at. And then the other aspect of it that I just really have decided I'm going to prioritize this year is I want some diversity. And so I've actually been reaching out to some of my friends and setting up, you know, one-on-ones with different people just to get fresh perspectives because we can get so stale when we get completely enveloped in our own thought process and in our own intermediate circle. And we don't allow people to have a different opinion than us, have, have a different thought. You know Um, there's so many different ways to play this game. Contrary to what people want you to think, there's so many different ways to approach situations. And if we get into this mindset where we just walk in and we're like, Oh, that's a fold. And like, it may be a fold, 95% 95% of the time, it may be a fold 98, it may be a situational fold, but maybe somebody has a really cool creative reason why it's not. And so, uh, you know, I've had the advantage of, I think over my career, I've had 10 coaches and it sounds like, wow, you've got a turnover problem. No, I just love perspective. And so now on a peer to peer level, I'm really prioritizing bringing people in that are kind of on a similar level to me and, and absorbing some of their creative process so that I can kind of add it to my own. That's, uh, that's great for that. Thanks for that. When you're actually in the lab doing your studying, what tools are you using? Are you using bio yourself or are you using? No. Um, so I use a site called uh, Range Trader Pro. Uh, it's actually been developed by High Hands. And it's a site that started with pre-flop ranges, which was good because I had some really bad habits. Uh, hello, raising ace three offsuit under the gun. We got that fixed. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it evolved into um, one of several sites that are out there that kind of have post-flop solves. And so uh, what I will do is in a, in a situation where... Um, like take the check raising example, right? I'll, I'll pull up a filter in my PT4 and I'll pull up all my check raise opportunities. And then I'll pull up a hand and I'll go into, you know, Range Trainer Pro into their pro swap tool and I'll put in, you know, the positions and the stacks or whatever. And I'll kind of take a look at what, you know, theory is deciding is our check raises and not. And then there's a really important step for me after that, which is like, okay, we have to kind of reverse, uh, I call it reverse compile because I used to be in programming. We have to kind of like reverse the process, I guess, is the best way to say it and go, why is this the way it is? So like you might go in and see that, uh, okay, it wants to check raise 18% of hands in this situation. And it's got all of these value check raises, you know, your sets and your bottom two pairs and your vulnerable strong hands and your, and then it's got like these polarized other options like these flush draws. But the reason it's that way is because our opponent is supposed to see bet, you know, 68% of hands, 72% of hands here. And so then I go one step back and I go, okay, so what is my opponent supposed to see betting? And I'll look at that and then I'll go, okay, this is cool. What happens in real life? Right. 
And how does this out actually play out in real life? Because it's dramatically different, right? Um, maybe a better example would be defending against check raises because, you know, in a situation where like, let's just say you look at a tool like that, whether it's Range Trainer Pro or one of the other ones, or you run the SIM and PIO, you're going to see like, I was supposed to check, defend these check raises with ace high, right? But then you go look and see what your opponent's supposed to check raise. They're supposed to check raise like underbelly gut shots with backdoor flush draws. Ain't nobody doing that, right? If you go to their Hendon mob and there's not two commas in the Hendon mob, they're not check raising four, six suited on the A seven, eight board. It's just not happening. And so like you have to kind of work backwards. And so I'll, I will actually kind of do a lot of that where I'm trying to like, and it, it, it's not an exact art, obviously, because, you know, unless you're an elite Pio uh, expert whiz who understands node locking and all the deep levels and has a really powerful computer that can run these things on the fly. Like you're not just going to be able to go in and like make massive tweaks. So it, it's a lot of uh, kind of a, a, a fine art more than a science of just breaking down what's real life. And then what is my adjustment to that real life? And then trying to break that into, again, getting back to the simplicity nature. Okay. How am I going to simplify this? Like, it's great that there's all of these different examples, but practical world, I'm in a situation, a guy C bets quarter pot. I think he does this pretty frequently when he doesn't have a hand. How am I deciding? You know, I'm just going to check raise all of my open-ended straight draws and all of my backdoor flush draws with overs. So like, I'll, I'll figure out something simple that I can compartmentalize and remember. And then the last step of it is go try it, right? And sometimes we go out and we try it and we go, oh my gosh, that was awful, right? Like it did not work. And then we have to go back in the lab. Sometimes we try it and we find out that it works really well. Sometimes we try it and we find out that people don't respond the way we think they're going to. Right. Like we might think, oh, well, this guy's, you know, quarter pot C betting too much. I'm going to check raise to exploit him. It's going to be great. And then you find out that those player types are just really stubborn and they're mad that you're check raising them and they're just <laughs> calling you with any two cards. Right. And now that now the tree changes, completely changes routes because like, you know, if you hadn't thought about that before, it's like, well, now we're in this new world because all again, the ranges are garbage at that point. Um, so that's kind of the cycle I go through of seeing what ethereal do and then reversing it back to, okay, what's actual real life. And then coming up with an implementable strategy, putting it into play a lot of trial and error, and then kind of rinse and repeat. One quick follow-up. Thank you very much for that. That was great. Um, in live poker, how do you take that from live poker and into the lab? Like do you take hand histories as you're playing. Like I, I always get so ex excited or upset about a hand. I forget to write it down. And then I'm like, okay, like how many chips did everyone have? And like, so yeah. how do you take your live? Cause you said you were like 50 to 60% live. Um, how do you take that back to the lab? Yeah. So my coach is very on me and very, uh, Ryan's very good about making sure that we're tracking our hands very frequently live. And so, um, if I play a tournament and I haven't sent him a hand history by like level six, I'm, I'm usually getting a, a WhatsApp or a telegram, like, Hey, what's going on? Like, you know, give us, give it. And every once in a while I'm like, and there's been no spots. It's just been really straightforward, but, um, yeah, I'm, I, I have, I just use a notepad. I don't use anything fancy on my phone. I just, I have notepad and basically I'll put down, um, the, the big blinds, um, my stack and my opponent's stack. So we kind of have an idea of effective stacks. And then I'll just kind of like when the hand's over, I will, you know, put the info in so I don't forget it. And then, you know, I'll run over those hands with my coach. I'll run over those hands with other students um, and, and kind of run through it from a live perspective. I think one of the really important aspects with live that's this, I, I can't stress enough is you have to remember that sample size is never big enough in a live environment. Um, I think sometimes people's, they start playing live, they get into situations, you know, they make a play, it doesn't work once or twice, you know, and then they decide, oh, we'll see, this is, this, this doesn't work. You know, like I three bet this guy twice and he four bet me full time. So I'm not three betting him anymore. And it's like, that's a sample size of two. Right. <laughs> um, but it's just one of those things that we struggle with as humans, because even though we know that it's a slower game and we know we're only one table and we know the sample size is small, it's, it's so much more important to us. We're so more emotionally attached to a live game, you know, online, you bust a tournament, you registered 12 more it, 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 live, you bust a tournament and you're just like, 
where do I go? You know, like, do I get into the long line here for a tournament again? Do I get in the long line here for a calzone? Like, <laughs> do I sit here and just like disbelieve? Um, and, and so we have to kind of just like, remember like big picture, you know, uh, that, um, you know, tournament sample sizes are very small. The info we get on our opponents, the sample sizes are incredibly small. You know, those of us, I'm sure you guys have had conversations about HUDs, you know, people come back, Oh, well, this guy had a 16% three bet. And you look and it's like, well, you had 30 hands on the guy. That's not a sample size, but live, right? Live. I, I see this all the time with my peers and I've been guilty of it before where it's like, man, the guy three bet me three times. He's a maniac. Right. But in reality, he had aces three times, or maybe it was day one of the main and he had aces, kings and queens 17 times. I probably looked like an absolute maniac last year. Right. And it just, I, the deck was just hitting me. So I think it's really important to kind of just understand the sample size, track your hands, talk about them with other people, especially other people that do have live experience. Cause there are some differences between live and online and, um, you know, be willing to make mistakes. Like I think that people get into live poker and they're scared to make mistakes. And so they play a little too conservative. So it's okay to go out there make a mistake, write it down, go talk to your friends about it. Cause all you're going to do is you're going to tell them a mistake that they've probably made a half dozen times before too. It's not like you're going to tell them a mistake that's never been done before in the history of poker. <laughs> well, you never know, Rob, it might just be like that uh, main, main event table we were at. Um, and maybe if someone's three betting you a lot, you just peed in their Wheaties earlier that morning and there's nothing you can do about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's a perfect example, right? You were on that day two table and that guy, it was like, every time you opened, he three bet you. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. I think it happened four or five times, but the thing is like, it wasn't, I mean, again, even if it was five times, right? Like it, it's not mathematically impossible for that to be, you know, strong hands, and I mean, there was a great article that Lee Jones put out back uh, before Black Friday about poker stars. And he was talking about the ultimate suck out, the runner, runner, two outer, one outer and how incredibly rare it is. And, and he's like, it happens four times a day on poker stars. Right. Four times a day, because there's yep. so much volume happening that it's just it's inevitable. Right. And and so like if there's one thing I've learned and not learned at the same time about this game, it's like variance is infinite. And no matter how much you try to understand it or wrap your head around it, or you think you've reached the ceiling of how good or bad variance can be. Oh no, it can get much better <laughs> or much worse. And so you just, you have to, you have to take everything with a grain of salt and say, okay, this is info and info info is better than no info. So knowing that the guy three bet you four times is better than him just sitting down at the table. But you know, you have to now understand that that sample size is small and kind of factor that into your decision making, which you did well, I thought. Oh, thank you, Rob. Um, yeah, well, you and I, we, we mostly stayed out of each other's way. I think we just had a couple hands and uh, mostly tried to take chips from other people. You was, uh, won both pots against me, if I remember correctly. <laughs> you're, you're undefeated. Oh, um, I like the sound of that. So two far. and oh. Yeah. So far. All right. Well, I'll see you next year. Well, um, if we if we end up at the same main main event table next year, I'm gonna have to have a talk with the TDs because yeah. something's up. Something's if up we if we're at the same table twice in ten thousand person fields. If we're at the same table in the main event next year, I hope it's the final table. That one I well, wouldn't that's, can make that's the way to do it. About. I like that's that. That's the idea. way to do it. Well, you've been a prince coming on and uh, dropping all this knowledge on us and sharing all this uh, fantastic information, ways to study and uh, stories about yourself. Uh, I'm going to try and ring you in to come back in another time and uh, for sure get even get even deeper into into this whole love of poker that we obviously share. All I can say is, uh, folks, I had a great time playing with this guy and uh, he's someone that you should get more uh, acquainted with. Um, Rob, where can people reach you? If you if there was just one way that you like people to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, probably Twitter is the easiest at Rob Gardner live on Twitter. Right on. And um, I'll just tell our folks, uh, we're going to do a little contest after we say goodbye to Rob. And you know the rules. If you type the word food bank into the YouTube chat, you'll get entered into the draw. So go ahead now and we'll pick that up a little later on. Um, Rob, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And uh, I really want next time we talk. We're such big Ryan the Plant fans here, and he and LPP have been great to what we're doing. So I'd love to talk a little more about what that experience is like. Uh, uh, Absolutely. By him and that hand by hand. All right. Have a great night. Thank you, my man. Thanks, everybody. It was a blast. So I see we're already uh, starting some of the fun chat back in our YouTube here. Joe 
saying that he always has the urge to three bet me whenever I open. I think that's that's fair. That's fair because you're a salty dude, Joe. I know what's I know what's going on there. Um, that was a fun one. I really really enjoyed meeting Rob, and uh, we didn't get into uh, some of the other stuff I was hoping to talk about um, as well about his um, hanging out with KL Cleeton and some fun we had down there. But we'll just have to have him back on uh, another time soon and, and keep getting into that story. Um, Chris, what's going on with you? Uh, we'll get John Somsky's take on what's going on in home came land soon, soon, but I know you've got a play along deep dive seminar to facilitate Yeah, we'll be shortly. recording that, uh, shortly. So you'll be seeing the, you, if you, if you're joining us live, there's still time to sign up if you're a premium member. Uh, but otherwise the, that'll, will be focused on, um, three bets, um, and, uh, particularly three bets in position. Uh, and sort of how that influences, you know, when to do it and then how it influences our approach post-flop as well. So uh, that's what we focused on in that session. And that will be coming out uh, in October. Nice. So that'll be yeah. our October deep dive. Very exciting stuff. And it's something that we all need to uh, work on. I think three betting, they tend to be big pots. They tend to be high leverage situations. So even just for those two reasons alone, um, whether you're the one making the three bets or you're the one responding to three bets, even like uh, Rob Gardner was saying how powerful a tool it can be. Uh, that'll be great, Chris. Um, John, what's happening in Memberland, And uh, who are we mailing some pins out to this uh, this week? Well, we'll start off with the daily series. Isma got Bike. his third uh, nightly victory for the and year. John, John doesn't even struggle at all with Isma anymore. I remember the good old days where that would catch you up. We'd I know. Have like multiple it's takes so getting through that. Yeah, I kind of feel he just, like it just like we've it been just rolls off the tongue. It's just like yeah. it, it used to be this like gigantic struggle who knows where you put the emphasis and he's just got it now it's it's uh, spike's been winning think too much people need to up their game if they yeah. want to ridicule me in order yeah. for you yes. to enjoy so yourself. if you're listening to this and you have not yet joined the home game my challenge is you to number one make a name <laughs> that is absolutely unpronounceable and number two you got to win one so those those yeah. are your, it's a double challenge there that's right. Something like Welsh. Something with a yes, lot of, yeah. oh, a lot yeah. of weird well, yeah. consonants yeah, 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 together. Yeah. One of those and... Welsh city names that's like yeah. 14 million consonants. You Let's know, I think up. I feel a, a cold coming on in about 14 <laughs> months here. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> all stuff. right. Then on the 16th, Jesse Two Shoes, Two Jesse Grandforce got his second victory for nightly victory for the year. E. Anderson, 85. Eric Anderson got Eric. his second nightly victory for the year. Nice. Roadstar, 33, Randy. got his first nightly victory for the year. Jeez. A really mad guy, mad oh guy, my God, he's got back. his sixth nightly victory for the year. 11th victory overall for wow. the year. And he's in the Silver Pin Club. I mean, yes, this guy is. is a guy or gal. Well, no, guy, a really mad guy, um, is making waves here in Rec Poker. It's true. Exactly. Uh, Aces 54-320. Kathy, Kathy Chang got her fourth nightly victory for the year. Way to go, Kathy. And that same very night, Bruce K54. Bruce got nice. his first mixed event victory for the year. There you go. I told you, and Bruce, it wasn't going to be your last chance to play in the Tournament of Champions. I told you. I knew it. Way <laughs> to go. M. Babker won the My 9 a.m. international event for his first international victory for the year jasper jr pat berry that, nice. got the second international victory and jb twin cities oh, right won the on. lp event so she can contact jim at rec.poker to get her free month at learn pro poker that's right and look at what it did to rob gardner working with ryan the plant and studying with all the amazing materials over there every week uh you could be doing the very same jb uh, i know you've got a little time sounds like fun email me jim at rec.poker and go enjoy that well um we should probably wrap this up because we've got uh chris oh we gotta do the draw of course so um we're giving away a free month of rec poker premium membership and we are gonna we're gonna find a way to also offer this to people who are already Rec Poker premium members. So if you're not a premium member, then you win a free month at Rec Poker 
come and get used to what we're doing. Try a few things out. Uh, I think you'll find something to enjoy. If you're already a member, we're going to take that same $15 and we're going to let you uh, apply it towards an hour of coaching time with anyone on the Wrecking Crew who's offering uh, coaching through the shop. So it's a great way to make that already very affordable coaching hour um, even cheaper. And uh, it gets you in front of uh, some of our Wrecking Crew members. So I think uh, people would really benefit from getting some one-on-one time. So here we go. Let me see. Looking at the chat, we're going to start with Joshua Campbell and uh, roll down. Oh, we got some fun names in here. I haven't seen uh, Rob Adsom for a while. Nice to see you, Rob. Thanks for joining us. And Eric Anderson, who's here to contribute like he always is. Let's roll the dice. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Eric Anderson, you are the winner tonight. So, Eric, you know the drill. Send me an email, jim at rec.poker, and we will get you all sorted out. Uh, You have one. I know you're already a premium member, so you are going to get a $15 credit uh, that you can apply towards any of our uh, coaching uh, hours with a Wrecking Crew member. So, congratulations. I thought it was going to be Elan Fair. Quingill, who won that one. I... <laughs> there you go. Yes, that was very well done, John. Actually, that's better than I would have done. Landfair Quingill. Quingill. Yep. Yeah, I good. just skipped over some of the letters. <laughs> <laughs> that is a winning strategy. Uh, all right. Well, my thanks to everyone who is in the chat tonight. Uh, Rob Gardner, of course. Um, but I love it when people join us here on YouTube every Monday night at 730 Eastern. Uh, come get a chance to win a prize and ask your own questions of our fantastic guests. We've got some fun ones coming up. Um, I just teased at the top. uh Matt Berkey's coming, uh, Dan Ross, Veronica Brill, Norman Chad. Uh, it's going to be a who's who of poker over the next little while. So come and check it out. And I want to thank, of course, our amazing sponsors, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, and Mark Brashan over at Website Amp. And Rob, Kim, John, and Chris, thank you so much. And you, the listeners, we couldn't do it without you.